from the campus of Gonzaga University in Spokane, Washington. You're listening to the G Suite Podcast, where we discuss all things Zach business. Joanna Hazel is a CPA currently working for Deloitte in Tokyo, consulting a variety of clients on tax issues. She previously worked with Deloitte's U.S. Business Tax Group in London, where she focused on private equity clients. A Zag, born in Kagoshima, Japan, Joanna shares a story of transitioning across cultures, both professionally and culturally. Yeah, so you have probably the coolest story <laughs> uh, of all time. Love to talk about that. Welcome to the podcast. Thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And now I want to say, you are you a third generation Zag, second generation Zag? Third. Well, yeah. I think my grandpa was, he taught here. So if okay. we count him, then a, a third generation Zag. Okay. Yeah. That we're counting him because he was awesome. I remember I was a student. Yes. Yeah. So thank you. Um, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, let's, let's, let's take it from, from the beginning here. Um, Great. Um, yeah, maybe just maybe your where, where where were you born and raised? Where mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then what brought you to Gonzaga? I think we already have a little bit of that answer. And then what came next? So that's where things get interesting. Indeed. All right. Well, to dive right in, I was born and raised in actually Kagoshima, Japan, and my mother's Japanese and my father's American. And so we started our life as a family down in Japan and lived there and was raised there until I was four years old. And then we moved actually to Pullman, Washington when I was four. And my dad studied at WSU, got his PhD, and then moved up to Spokane when I was eight because he got a job at Gonzaga. And, you know, growing up, summer in the U.S. is nice and long, like three and a half, four months. So we would always go back home to, to Japan every year and kind of grew up living in a multicultural environment and flying back and forth. So I'm very grateful to this day, I, I'm able to speak both Japanese and English, which is a huge testament to my parents for raising me in a household where we had to speak both every day. Um, but once I moved to Spokane, when I was eight, we lived there. I lived there all the way through elementary school, middle school, high school, and then college and grad school. So I went to Mullen Road and, oh, and Lewis and Clark Tigers, go Tigers. Um, and then, yeah, I was a, a zag. And like you said, I came to Gonzaga. One, my, my grandfather, uh, Bud Hazel, was a professor at GU for almost 40 years. He actually announced the GU basketball games like way back in the, no the 80s before GU basketball was GU basketball, which is, right. which is really cool. And uh, I'm the 10th person in my family to have gone to Gonzaga. My younger cousin is actually there right now. She's studying poli-sci. And my dad's been a professor there now for a long time, almost 20 years as well. Teaches in Carmel in the School of Leadership Studies. So that's kind of what brought me to Gonzaga. It was an easy, easy choice to, to apply to GU and be another Hazel Zag. Right. So, yeah. I didn't realize that you spent so much time in Japan growing up. I mean, I knew you were yeah. bilingual and um, but wow, that that's awesome. I'm I'm super jealous. Um just to have <laughs> I mean, with the limited travel that I've done, just 
the the perspectives that have opened up. So like, so I'm viewing you as like uh, some sort of like superhuman on perspective <laughs> and understanding. And particularly when you're talking about, you know, an Asian culture and then the US culture. So that's, that's so awesome. Wow. So now, now, now you're a glutton for punishment because you chose accounting. Well, how did that process come about? Yeah, that's a, a good question. Sometimes I still ask that to this day when I'm, you know, in an Excel spreadsheet and looking at evaluator. I'm like, what are the choices that led me to to here um but in all seriousness so like i mentioned a lot of my family members uh went and graduated from gu as well including my sister uh, my sister went through the uh graduate or excuse me business school at gonzaga and she majored in accounting so i knew that i when i came to gu i was probably going to want to go into the business school because my sister did so well and she had great things to say about her professors. So when I entered business school, I didn't quite know which route I would take. And, you know, as freshmen, sophomores, you have to take a bunch of different classes, you know, economics and finance and all of that. And I took my first accounting 101 class and I, I just clicked and I, I got it. So it's like, you know, my sister's a, a CPA, why not? So followed in her footsteps and that's how I ended up you know majoring in accounting and got my master's in tax and now I'm a, a CPA so that's an yeah. easy answer is I just did what my sister did so. I, and, and that's my story too it's like a, yeah that's what everyone's doing so at least in my family um remind me how because I, I definitely remember you as an undergrad. I definitely remember you in grad school. And this this is a me issue because I, I forget. <laughs> Literally, like, when I, so I've, been in, I've been here for 12 years. I'm just finishing my 12th year. I, wow. Congratulations. I, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, um, but literally, like, if someone graduated in 2012 or 2018, I, I wouldn't be able to place it. Um, that's, but um, so remind, so how did we... So you came out, were you going to a Seattle firm originally? Was that kind of your, the-, the No. Straight, did you, you did an internship. Okay, go on, tell me. Yes, so not at all. I, you know, as a sophomore, especially in accounting, everyone starts to do um, applications for summer leadership, which then kind of feed into the internship your junior year and then a, an offer after your, your senior year. I totally missed the boat. On, on summer leadership opportunities my sophomore year. Something in me just at that point didn't feel drawn to it or I didn't quite understand what it was. But I'm glad I, I waited because junior year rolled around and um, a very influential professor in my life who you might or might know by, goes by the name of Professor Brassage um, told us uh, about an internship with Deloitte in London the U.S. business tax team over there was looking for for interns, and that piqued my interest. And I thought, okay, this is this is it. This is the opportunity for me that I need to to go for and try. And so I I did. I applied. You um, very graciously and thankfully put me in touch with the team over there. And I did my internship spring semester of my senior year. So I actually took some time off to go and do that internship my senior year of college. And at that point, everyone had already done their internships either the previous summer or the previous year and, and things like that. So I felt a little bit 
uh, outside the, the box, I'd say taking spring semester off of your senior year, which is your last semester of school, really, to go move to London for a few months to do tax busy season in in London of all places. So I did that. And after the four month internship, they gave me an offer to come back full time after graduating. And at that point, I knew that I had an, another year of, of school at GU to finish up my master's degree. So I said, yes, and I'll be back in a year. And so I went back to Spokane and then COVID hit. So I didn't really go back to to campus at all after March of 2020 because we shut down for spring break. They told us to not come back and then I never went back uh, after that. So finished up grad school over the summer from my parent from my bedroom in my parents' house up on the South Hill and then moved to London right after that in September of 2020 to start with uh, the U.S. business tax team at Deloitte in, in the London office. So that's how I started my career. Yeah, and this is coming back for me now because you did your internship obviously in person and then you move over to London and they're basically like just stay in your flat. Yeah, so we, it was a national lockdown. We really couldn't go anywhere. The only places that were open were like the post office and the grocery store. Um, and so I moved over there with a few friends that I met on the internship because we all went back for another year of school. And so we got a big house in Wimbledon in like a five bedroom house uh, right next to Wimbledon Park and lived there for a year during lockdown. And, you know, we, we made the best of it. I think we thankfully or not thankfully because it was COVID rent prices were uh, decreasing. So we were able to get uh, four of us rented a, a really big, nice house uh, in Wimbledon. So we had a lot of space to stay inside <laughs> um, and not drive each other crazy too much. But it was, it, we made the best of it. And yeah. What were your were your flatmates um, all American and what schools? Yeah. So all of us were American we met on the internship a year prior so one was from Westminster in Utah another one was from Texas Tech and another girl went to Ole Miss so yeah we yeah kind of from all over the states all got a house yeah together so that, yeah. that's so interesting and so cool um you know I think back so when I was at Deloitte I I went to a training and they had the team from that group in London, right? Where you're yeah. working on US tax issues in London. And and you mm -hmm. told me it's part of the UK firm, right? Um, yes, yeah. But but they were coming to the States to get, it's not like you're gonna have training over there or CPE. Yes. So, yeah. and, and for some reason it was in Atlanta and that was the crew that I hung out with. Um, nice. And um, and I didn't keep much touch with them. And then fast forward, I mean, because you were one of the first ones that went over. I mean, maybe someone a year or two before you, I want to say Morgan Eliason was on the front end of it. But mm -hmm. um, we started having discussions with the Seattle recruiter and then, you know, got one intern in and then and maybe someone like rotated from Seattle over there. And now because of people like you. <laughs> they love zags they're just like send me more zags i'm like hey come over well i'm i'm honored to to have been a part of that first wave of zags over there i think it's great and 
we are still a little bit underrepresented. They have a lot of people from, from Ole Miss and schools yeah. down in the South. So I'm trying to get more Zags over there. But I yeah. think there are a handful of Zags there now. I think I can think of three off the top of my head, which is good. We're trying yeah. to get more. So. Well, they just opened up recruiting. So there's the, we're, we'll have a few more. But um, Great. yeah, Ole Miss seemed to have the pipeline for sure. Um, mm -hmm. But we're, we're, we're cracking in. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's a bit of, of a commute from Wimbledon to the office, isn't it? That's like an hour. It, yeah, it, exactly. It was an hour, but again, at, at lockdown, the offices weren't, weren't yeah, open and yeah. we had, we were working from home anyway. So after a year of, of lockdown, the London started to open back up and people were traveling again and the offices opened back up. So we then moved uh, to Maida Vale, which is a little bit closer into the city, and our commute was maybe 25 minutes to the office. So we did move after a year of living out in in yeah. the suburbs of Wimbledon to the to more of the heart of the city. So gotcha. That's to experience both. Yeah, that's all. And you call? And, would you call it the financial district? Is that where the office is? I mean, it's kind of over by. It's, yeah. So Deloitte's yeah. offices are right by St. Paul's. Okay. Um, awesome. And like yeah. the courts of justice, like Fleet yeah. Street's right there. Yeah, great. The old Bank of England, which is a very cool pub, is nearby. Oh, I didn't. Gosh, I, yes. I, I got I got to visit last March. Uh, That's I mean, right. The, the thing I would totally want to check out would be the old Bank of England, but um, we were kind of next time. Now forever. you have an excuse to go back. That's right. Exactly. I no. I would love. To, I would love to go back. And I and I'm it. It looks like there's a strong chance I'll be teaching at Florence a year from this spring, so spring twenty-five. So oh wow! I want to bring my my boys and my wife and definitely Italian for have you have you been to, did you you did Florence you did some study abroad too if I no okay. I so I actually I studied abroad in Japan I didn't do the study abroad in Florence but when I was living in London I mean the rest of Europe is so close so we did a I did a trip with some friends to Italy and. I went to Florence and I took a picture in front of Gonzaga's campus. So I uh, technically have been. I just was never a student. You're, you're official. But, and now I do have to ask because I know mm -hmm. I could be making this up, but you are you a tennis family? Do you guys play some tennis? Maybe your dad does. Good, good memory. Yes. So one of my best friends at Gonzaga, she was a, a tennis player on the GU yeah. women's tennis team. So I don't play. Okay. I would just go as a family, we would go and, and watch and, and support her and her games. And then because we would do that, my dad then caught the tennis bug and he yeah. loves to play. But um, since I lived in, in Wimbledon, I went to, yes, the Wimbledon tennis. Match. I think I've been three times by oh, when I lived so there. Much. It was so much fun and it was great. So no, I, I don't play. My dad plays recreationally, but we try and watch all the, the opens, especially you know, the U.S. Open and, and Wimbledon. I, and I like love on TV. I, I love watching tennis, and my wife's a tennis player. I, I'm a member of the pickleball cult. Uh, <laughs> so are my parents. Yeah, and I, I think I've talked to your dad about it. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's on her bucket list to do something like a Wimbledon. And you can, there's like, pretty cheap seats I think like you, you like you just can like a standing seat or something like like can you just kind of walk around and yeah you can definitely get a grounds ticket a lot of people what they'll do is they'll just go to Wimbledon Park and just wait in line and when people come out you can either you know buy their grounds ticket off of them or you can buy leftover tickets for the day 
if somebody returned their ticket and didn't get to go. Obviously, tickets for center court or court one are a little bit harder to get. Not impossible, but a little bit harder. But you can definitely get a grounds ticket just to get into the Wimbledon grounds and watch all the outer court matches or sit on the hill and drink your pimp's cup and watch the, the game on the big screen. So definitely you should do it. It's a lot of fun. Really great atmosphere. You have you know, the poshest of the posh that ever existed in the Royals box. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have people like me who just go in bright eyed and excited and trying to run around and see all the games that you possibly can. So commoners is what we call us. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's I mean, I'm so jealous. I mean, what an, what an experience. How long were you over there for? I lived in London for two years, so from September 2020 to September of 2022. But if you include the time I did the internship uh, a year prior to that, it's about two and a half years in total. Okay. Yeah. So it was then, a really fun two years. I mean, it, it's it seems so incredible, and I'm always trying to encourage students to explore it. Like when you're, you know, before you start a family, like what an opportunity to go and just do something. Definitely. Right. Definitely, so. definitely. Wow. I highly recommend. But but there there came a time. Uh, <laughs> yes. you're doing, you know, you're doing your your 5471s and you're all excited and but you're like, yeah, schedule K ones and yeah. K2s and K3s now. But. Yeah, I right, got yeah, what a nightmare, huh? Um <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not obviously on the ground level or in the grind on that, but I hear in different conference calls what a mess a lot of that is. I think yes. it's but um so that's so what happens next so next i in so in london i was doing u.s tax compliance like you mentioned doing a lot of um, forms like 5471s and 1065s and k1s and things like that i wanted to take a little bit of a, a step back and not just look at u.s tax but have a bit of a broader lens and get into more of the advisory and consulting space and uh, being Japanese, I knew I wanted at some point to take my career to Japan. And I was put in touch with a partner in the Deloitte Tokyo office in the business tax services team. And so just about a year ago, I moved from London to Tokyo and I'm now doing more Japanese and international tax advisory and consulting with the business tax services team with Deloitte in Tokyo. So so it, it's more of like a consulting gig. You're not you're not doing a lot of return U.S. returns. No, I have not done any compliance for yeah, I guess over yeah. a year now. It is incredible. <laughs> What's it like? That's amazing. <laughs> it is really it's so interesting too because in London I was you know looking mostly at private equity firms and then doing you know 1065s for that so you do get really really good at what you're doing and your knowledge can get very um deep into that that field but it is very niche and i wanted to like i said take a little bit of a step back broaden my my knowledge and expertise a little bit into the advisory and consulting space and look at a lot of different types of clients so yeah, it's been great. I love living in Tokyo. It's a piece of home. Obviously, I'm born there and a citizen there. So it's nice to have kind of like a, a built-in community in Japan. I have some family there. My mom's whole side of the family lives there. And I have 
friends from when I was little and I did I did a study abroad semester in Tokyo when I was a sophomore so uh, or maybe yeah I was a sophomore so, so I have some friends from when I did a study abroad so it's been great living you, in so Tokyo to, so when you're flying into Narita right am I right is that the airport I fly into Haneda Nar Narita is one of the airports Narita yeah. and then Haneda is the other one um so I fly to Haneda it's a lot closer to to the city that's my go-to uh, airport it's, it's, but, it's, yes. uh, that's the locals trick I see <laughs> so when you land there though you get to go you get to you got your Japanese passport you get to go on the passport. I do and then I when do, you're flying yeah. in Honolulu, you get to go the other way. You get to get your U.S. Yeah, passport. with my U.S. passport, exactly. It's like my dream in life. Right? <laughs> I know. And in the U.K., though, and in Europe, I did have to wait in line with my U.S. passport. So it is it is nice when I'm flying back and forth between Japan to get to use the fast lane for immigration and customs. But yeah, it's been great in, in Tokyo. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate, you know, that somebody in the London office that I used to work in knew someone in Tokyo and just connected me right away. So it was a very easy transition, both in terms of the, the job, because, you know, Deloitte to Deloitte is a decently smooth transition. And then also culturally, too, going from London, which uh, is, I don't have any family there. And my the only people I knew were work people, too going back to my home country so it was great it was an easy choice i do miss london but i am doing really well and i'm loving being in Tokyo. Awesome. Now, so. it, it sounds awesome um and are you are you is your family close to tokyo are they in tokyo i have some i have some my mom's cousin and his family so that makes them my second cousin I think or first cousin once removed or something yeah, like so that um live nearby um and those cousins also actually work at Deloitte now so sometimes we do like a little family lunch and it and do dinner or once a month or something like that it's great or we'll pop out to go get a coffee which is so nice it's not something I had in in London so just you know having friends at work is one thing which is great but then having somebody that's a, a family member at work is a whole nother sense of just like I don't know calm I guess and just having a, a solid person that's like you're not just my friend we're, we're family and we can pop out to go get coffee and so right. that's been really great and then my my mom's uh sibling so my aunt and my uncle they live in Kagoshima which is where I was born it's about an hour and a half flight from Tokyo so not long but it's on the southern island of Kyushu so we you do have to catch a flight to get there but it's not bad wow so so yeah. tell me more about the job in japan the way i mean mm -hmm. and to the extent you can't maybe some of its proprietary information but tell some of the cool stuff you're doing here sure absolutely so i think you know like i mentioned i wanted to to take a a bit more of a a step back and kind of broaden my my knowledge and, and expertise in, in tax and I was like I said before I was mostly doing private equity clients over in London but now doing more advisory and, and consulting I see a wide range of clients I see some you know some are still private equity or in investment banking things like that but I also see like fashion brands 
furniture manufacturers, wineries, distilleries. I had a rocket launching company once. And so the types of different clients that I see is extremely wide ranging. You never know what's going to come next. I just got a bubble tea company this morning when I, I checked my email. So it's, it's interesting to see that all these different types of clients in a wide ranging genre of industries all need similar tax advice. And so it's kind of eye opening to understand, you know, this one company might be a private equity fund that's setting up a venture capital fund in Japan, whereas the winery wants to open up you know, a new distillery or a vineyard in Japan, even though, you know, the specifics of what they might be doing are, are slightly different. They're all impacted by, by the same kind of tax laws. And so we get to also analyze different tax treaties between the respective countries and yeah. things like that. So it's been really interesting to kind of be able to dip your finger in all these different industries and taking a, a bigger step back to see how, international tax and Japanese tax are, you know, intertwined and really do affect the day-to-day of these huge companies that do business globally. Um, Another really exciting project is that my team also just started a podcast, uh, which I am the host of. (laughs) Plug it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's been really fun. We basically, we started it from scratch. We came up with the title the logo the intro music everything and I was like I think we should start a podcast and I'll be the host and so it's called the the Japan perspective and basically it is a a tax specific podcast but we discuss you know updates or changes to the tax and legal landscape in Japan that would impact foreign multinational companies doing business in Japan and we talked to specialists within Deloitte so some of the episodes we did were about pillar two so someone in our office is uh, knows a lot about pillar two so we had him on another one is like indirect tax and and vat and vat japan has um consumption tax so we had uh, a guest on and she spoke about changes to to that so it's been fun and exciting we've only published like two or three episodes so far so we're just getting our feet off the ground but it's been fun. So that's been exciting and, and new and a, a project that I've enjoyed working on and developing. Yeah, that sounds sounds yeah. super awesome. So if if I understand correctly, and so you're you're in Deloitte Consulting now. You're out of the of the Deloitte. I so I'm in Deloitte in Tomatsu actually because it, it's Japan, but I'm in DT Tax, so it's Deloitte Tomatsu Tax and Legal. So I'm still within the tax and legal. It's just within tax and legal. I'm in a team called BTS, which is business tax services. And within that team, I do tax advisor and consulting. So when you, so you have a a client come through and it could be, Mm -hmm. but your, your job basically is, Hey, we're going to dig in and, and learn the business. Maybe talk to some folks and then, try to figure out a way maybe maybe they're trying to do something like you say expand and we're going to try to find a way to do that tax tax efficiently is that is that a safe bet okay and yeah yeah (laughs) that's that's a word we'll use uh and which i think is a fair word um you know people are like oh they're trying to you know 
you know, the, the part of the game is minimizing your taxes, right? And, and a lot of the rules Indeed. are set up to yeah. let you do that and to encourage you to do that. Exactly. Uh, certain things. So, yes, there's uh, a reason why tax treaties exist and right. offer exemptions and things like that. So, yes, exactly. Tax efficient is a great way to put yes. it. Amen. I can say that. This is it's <laughs> cool. So, um, and that's so cool. And then, so, and you're you're coming with the U.S. perspective. Are you are you dabbling in the Japanese? I mean, you obviously you're aware of it, but I, mean, I imagine you have experts in every area to where um, you have a VAT question or a consumption tax question. You go to your expert. Is that is that fair to say? Or actually, so I'm not doing U.S. tax anymore. I am doing Japanese okay. tax. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's a, a little bit of the opposite. If there is a U.S. tax question, sometimes they they come to me as like, hey, is this going to be, you know, I think this triggers UFCFC rules. What do you think? So, but now I'm I'm doing Japanese tax. So I'm the one that's, you know, a little bit behind in the tax technical knowledge front. I'm trying to play catch up and learn Japanese tax now because I'm working for the Japan firm. But a lot of the concepts, of course, are similar, you know, when a company gets rid of its investment, it, it triggers a capital gain. Capital gain is the same in Japan as it is in, in the US. It's just that, you know, some of the rules to tax that capital gain are, are slightly different. So it definitely helps that I have a, a master's in, in tax and a, a CPA. So it's mostly just learning the different nuances of what happens when certain uh, events trigger, uh, you know, a tax filing or things like that. But I am doing Japanese tax now, so I'm not doing U.S. tax at all, which has been a huge learning curve. That's so I, I, mean. I thought you said that, and I was like, well, there's no way that seems so hard. So that's hard. <laughs> so it's yeah. like rules in Japanese, obviously, right? Um, well, most of the materials that I look at are in English because okay. what I do is um, my team, the native English speakers on our team, we help inbound clients. So that's foreign clients doing business in Japan. And so we have to communicate with them in English and all of our deliverables are in English as well. Um, but yes, you know, any kind of tax law materials that are provided by the Japanese government are in Japanese. So a lot of what we try to do is you know part of that is the reason why we started the podcast is to make those tax laws a little bit more accessible to our our foreign clients that don't speak or uh, read japanese that makes more sense but it also seems really hard <laughs> so kudos to you <laughs> it has been a huge learning curve for yeah. sure absolutely and you know it's in my experience international tax i mean a lot of the rules are reflective of the culture on some levels so mm. um i guess it would make a lot more sense to you just having your your background and your exposure um that's so that's so cool i'm i'm, I'm proud of you you're doing awesome thank uh, you thank yeah. you yeah i have my my education to thank for that. <laughs> you know I, the, the truth is you came to Gonzaga. Awesome. You worked hard. Oh, you just well, thank you. Like me, look good. You're. It's all you. <laughs> at the end of the day. I have the. Oh, well, I have the answer. I appreciate that, but. Yeah. But um, so, I appreciate that. So so random, and this is not the uh, things are just coming coming to my mind. How are you guys utilizing AI, if at all, in what you're doing? Mm, that's a really good question. I think. Um, it's a it's an ongoing 
discussion. Um, we actually just, this is kind of funny, but we recently just got new laptops and the update. And every time you go and access chat GPT, a little pop-up window comes up and says, you're about to access, you know, a, an AI website. Please don't put any, you know, Deloitte specific or client information in there. And you have to click like, yes, accept before it can take you to the website. I think in terms of, you know, tax technology software in helping prepare tax returns, it can be really, really helpful. Um, where I think we struggle with, you know, trying to implement AI in the consulting and advisory space is just the level of confidentiality that right. you have to keep. And as soon as you put that into a third party AI software, you kind of compromise the, the confidentiality. And also there are so many nuances, especially when you're trying to build a fund. It's so business specific and, you know, what the investors are trying to do. Right. And it's difficult to, you know, read and interpret Japanese tax law and then read and interpret, um, you know, treaties. And a lot of, a huge aspect of tax advisory and consulting is up to the client's discretion. And there's a point to kind of similar in law is if you can argue a point or not. Right. Um, and that definitely requires a human element. So right. I think, you know, like I mentioned, in terms of, you know, tax return preparation software I think it can be really helpful to utilize AI and you know like when I was in London I was doing PE funds with like 120 investors which means you need at least 120 k1s and then when it came to k2 and k3 it was all of a sudden there are three times more forms you have to do and that takes a lot and even like building a simple macro in an excel helps tremendously so I think you know, finding the right licensing to make sure client confidentiality is kept can be really helpful for tax compliance and using that kind of software to help prepare returns. But it becomes a little more difficult to to apply when it comes to advisory and consulting because it's so nuanced and client specific and it becomes, you know, up to our discretion and their discretion on whether or not you can take a position and argue it um, or, you know, defend it to an extent, which becomes a little bit more difficult to rely on AI software to, to do. So it's an ongoing conversation because I think there are definitely ways in which it could be utilized to help make our job more efficient. But those are the, I think the conversations being had now, and, but ultimately it's up to, I think, um, making sure that we protect our, our client and right. at this point, because there's just so much we don't know about AI and where that information goes after it's input into. Right. Yeah. Like a lot of the info out there, I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> On the exactly. Internet. You know, so it's interesting because it, when it, you know, it was, I guess it's, it's over a year now that ChatGPT was launched to the public. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was this, I don't want to say there was a doom and gloom element to it. Like, you're all going to be out of the job. So I started playing around with it and the tax stuff was garbage. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, let's try it. Yeah. I felt better about my my, uh, my job exactly. security after that. But it, they say it's getting better. And I, I went to a, a conference. It was like on accounting and AI. And, and it, it's interesting. It, it, it was still a long ways to go, but um, how to utilize the tool 
and, and, the, and the theme there was like treat it like a, a personal assistant where you're gonna have to give very detailed instructions and then review the work product before it goes out. Um, but- That's a great way of thinking about it. Yeah, I, I was like, God, that makes a lot more sense to me. And it, it was less intimidating at that point. Mm. And then um, it, it, it's gonna learn from you over time, right? It's gonna it's gonna get better at that, which right. is which, what you want, what your language is. Um, and 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 utilizing it for for certain tasks to free yourself up from from other activities. Um, it's and then the other thing was it's going to cause more work or going to result in more work at the outset, but over time it should be kind of I'm like that that those have all been true for me so far. So one hundred percent. So we'll we'll see. And I'm and I'm curious about these these ChatGPT enterprise accounts, which actually I spoke with. A Seattle partner from Deloitte yesterday was on campus. Um, mm -hmm. you, 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 there's nothing at Deloitte, Deloitte Touche on this, but I've seen some other firms where you, you kind of have, it's a more secure private tool on sitting on top of chat GPT. So I'm, who knows? We'll see. There's a lot of things happening. Yeah. I'm curious to to see where it goes because I know I for sure use ChatGPT not for client specific things but for example you know like when I was starting up my podcast I put in a, a description of what we wanted the podcast to be and I said come up with some clever names for for this podcast and it it did and it, it helped and so we kind of took that list and and ran with it so there are definitely ways that I think it can be used like you said to free up you know some of your plate to give it some tasks that it can do so I'm curious that's a that's a good question and it's definitely something that our firm and our partners and my team have been talking about and discussing too so I uh, will see how that changes yeah. the the tech technology landscape for sure now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna let you get out of this podcast without talking a little bit of sports because I'm, I'm excited um for a couple reasons now I know you're a mm -hmm a Tottenham Hotspur fan and you told me yes. one of the big drivers was Son. Uh, yes. <laughs> is he Korean? Kore or yes. Korean? He's Korean. Yes. Super awesome player. Um, yeah. He's the captain and, now. And now he's carrying the team on his back pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's doing great, which I love to, we love to see it. Um, yeah. Well, and then, and, but, um, I feel like this is a banner year because I, who I'm I'm going to go out and say probably going to end up being the best baseball if injuries permitted the best baseball player ever um Otani now just made yes. a huge move to the Dodgers I mean, huge. 700 million dollars <laughs> so crazy um but even more even more closer to home the Zags have uh mm player this year yes. is i mean starting to get into the system and doing awesome uh and i yes, can't i've been watching yeah maybe but yeah go ahead sorry i think it's yo yo right yes um i try and watch you know with the time difference and not having basic cable that shows gu games in japan it's hard but i try and, and catch as, as many as i can i watch the ja maui jim maui um on my laptop and that was that was fun but it's great having some more asian representation on 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 the zags basketball team it's been so fun to to watch 
Yeah, super, super awesome. We I went to the game last night with my four-year-old, soon to be five-year-old, um, oh. my youngest, which which really oh, is growing so fast. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we're both, you know, really the game is we're gonna get a hot dog, then we're gonna sit down, then we're gonna go to the bathroom, then we're gonna sit down, then we're gonna get some dipping dots, and then it's halftime, we're gonna go home. So, but I got to watch yeah. some some of the action, which was which Good. was really, really fun. So nice. that's so cool. Um so you've done some pretty cool things. You're a pretty yeah. awesome person. <laughs> Thank you're, you. You're, so are you a professional? Um, think back to you know you survived COVID. Um, yeah. You know we what, all you know. Or I guess we all kind of I mean, yeah. So, I, don't, I don't know what I meant. How, what my COVID problem <laughs> though at least. Um, what for for the the budding. Gonzaga graduate. It doesn't have to be tax or accounting, just a, mm. or even business. What 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 do you what words of wisdom would you give people? Um, this is about to sound so cliche and you might roll your eyes at me, but I think it's you know, don't be afraid to think outside the box and think bigger. Um, because I did I did exactly that. I didn't you know, follow what I think I was supposed to be doing. I kind of just waited and found a bigger opportunity that I wanted to go for. And it, you know, high risk, high reward type thing. So, and another thing that I have really learned, especially lately that I'm always trying to keep in mind, um, not just, you know, as a student, but even now today working on new projects and things like that is failure is not the opposite of success. It's in fact, the root of success. And the opposite of success is indeed not doing anything at all. Um, so it's always better to try and fail because then that means you're on, you're well on your way to succeeding at something. Um, but nothing's going to happen if you just don't do anything at all. So, and it's always okay to ask and be told no and end up right where you are in the same spot, be no worse off than it is to to not ask or not try at all. Um, so I think that that's something that I'm trying to remember and also would want to tell new budding professionals as well, is that failure is not the opposite of success. It's not doing anything at all. Um, that's the opposite of success. And then you always said this to us as well, but um, work is always gonna be there. You know, I think what you really need to, to keep in mind and not forget are, your values, what's important to you, making time for your family, making time for your friends and make sure you're doing something that feels fulfilling to you. That could be a project at work or it could be, you know, you really like your yoga class on Wednesday evenings or you want to try and get like a, I don't know, sommelier license on the side or something, making sure that you are doing something that feeds your soul and not just grinding away at a, at a job. Um, because the work is always gonna, going to be there. And especially in, in business, you know, I think there's um, pressure to get things done fast because the client needs it now and things like that. Um, but in the career path that I've chosen, you know, it's, I'm, not a, I'm not a neurosurgeon. I'm not a, a pilot who's, I'm not holding somebody's life literally in my hands. You know, so I have to kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture and be like, yes, the client said they need this by Friday, 
but if it's going to cost you or me, you know, like my, my mental health or emotional health or well-being, let's take a step back and reprioritize and make sure that we can find something that works for all of us because there's no way in, we can't find a solution. Um, so really just trying to keep in mind that your life is your life. You should be able to do things that feed your, you know, mind, body, and soul. We'll throw some cure personalis in there because we're zags, of course. So that's what I really try to, to do in my own life is have a good on-off switch between work and my personal life. And making sure I'm feeding both. Yeah, that's such that's such good words of wisdom. I I stumbled on a probably like in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep on my phone. Uh, the <clears throat> it, it was like a it was an article about what people from hospice um, when you would ask them. I don't know if there was like a formal survey or what, but you know, what's your biggest regret? You know, as you're kind of near the end, and and uh, it, it, it's pretty universally. I wish I spent more time with my family and friends. Mm. So, I think it. for me, especially, I live so far away from my family and most of my friends. So, you know, working and living abroad is amazing and it's great. And I'm having a lot of time and learning a lot. And I do feel very enriched and fulfilled in this life that I've chosen. But it is really hard being very far away. So at the times that I do get to see them, I I make sure that I am trying to, to cherish every moment. My sister just had a baby last, well, two years ago now, he's almost two next month, but it's hard watching him grow up through FaceTime. Yeah. Um, but it's it's worth it's worth it, you know, doing what I'm doing far away from my family. But I, I agree with you. I think it's, I think family and, and friends is probably the thing that keeps me the most fulfilled and, and happy. So, yeah. That's so cool. Thank you so much for and taking time out of your day in Honolulu. Or you're in Honolulu. Right? <laughs> yes, you're in Hawaii. Yes. Um, I hope you have a great PTO couple of weeks and a great Christmas. And Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. I'm actually at my best friend from Gonzaga. We met at GU. I'm at her house. So awesome. I, you know, I have Gonzaga to thank for a lot of the great things in my life. So thank you for having me on as a, as a guest and being able to chat with you. It's been great. Oh, it's been awesome. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the G Suite Podcast. This episode was produced and hosted by Andrew Brasich and edited by Jack Talbot. To find more G Suite and many other podcasts on the Gonzaga Podcast Network, remember to check out gonzaga.edu slash podcasts. Thanks again.